Wendy Sharp, the correspondent on this story, says, quote, we just want to help people, unquote, from the Enforcers MC when thinking of bikers, tough guys tattooed up with a cigar in one hand and a beer in the other often comes to mind. But at Leesburg Motorcycle Club, the Enforcers is aiming to change the focus by philanthropic opportunities to better the community. Well, bikers often get a bad rap, said the group's president, who goes by the name Matic. They assume we want to hurt someone because of the stigma. But we aren't about that. We just want to help people. Hmm. Helping people is in their blood because the enforcers consist of current and retired law enforcement, which includes police officers, first responders, EMTs, corrections officers, firefighters, paramedics, and active or retired military. However, they won't turn anyone away who has a passion for giving. Although a nationwide motorcycle club, the Leesburg chapter focuses on the betterment of Lake County by holding toy drives, poker runs, and various fundraisers for charity. The members recently took part in a fundraiser for the Altamata Senior Cheyenne Scaliga, who was diagnosed with cancer on July 27th. They are holding a school supply drive at their clubhouse that was this past weekend. The event will feature a bike wash, live music, food, and activities. They are asking people to donate school supplies or money to fund who may not be able to afford it. The event began at 2 p.m. until the last person left. According to Matic, the group is also about brotherhood. As an EMT, which I do support firefighters and EMTs, we all called ourselves brothers because we're a team, Matic said. And it's the same with the enforcers. We are a tight-knit community, and I know that I could call any member anywhere and they would have my back to help in any way corrections officer matt smallwood used to ride alone but ever since he discovered the enforcers he feels like he has finally found a family from the moment first moment again he says i walked in these doors they treated me like family smallwood said these guys are my brothers. We get together to hang out, go on rides, and plan events to help our community. The club meets at 7 p.m. every Friday at the Clubhouse, 106 South Killian Street in Leesburg for drinks, games, karaoke, and the kickback and relax. Other clubs do that too. Just putting it out there. By Noah Burner. This is our next one. Hell's Angel Motorcyclist, different part of Angel's Camp's history 62 years ago. Angel's Camp became a part of history not associated with the region's famous gold rush. In 1957, the outlaw motorcycle gang Hell's Angels descended on the city of Angel's to create their own unique brand of mayhem. Not all those who served in World War II were excited about returning to civilian life. Some men 
who fought in the conflict return home still searching for the excitement of the war years. Many found it atop of motorcycles. Surplus motorcycles from the war effort were inexpensive and readily available. Bikers began to form clubs across the country, reestablishing the camaraderie they had experienced overseas back home while there were less than 200,000 motorcycles in the United States at the end of the war, by the mid-50s, they numbered over 1 million. For many motorcycles, this was a weekend release from 9 to 5 job. For others, it became a way of life that shunned society constraints and scuffed at the law. Outlaw Motorcycle Clubs first came into public consciousness in 1947 during the annual meeting of the American Motorcycle Association in Hollister. The meeting drew thousands of motorcyclists from across the country, including members of the budgeting Outlaw Biker Clubs. Not content to compete in the official events, members of the Pissed Off Bastards, a club from Bloomington, began racing down Main Street and destroying property. Many were arrested and the local police chief was quoted as saying, It's just one hell of a mess. In 1948, members of the Pissed Off Bastards split from the club to form the Hells Angels in Fontana, which would go on to become the most notorious outlaw biker club in the world. Ten years after the mishap in Hollister, members of the outlaw motorcycle clubs, including the Hells Angels, bombarded the quiet community of Angels Camp. From June 1st through the 2nd, 1957, the AMA held its annual Gypsy Tour at the fairgrounds outside of town, the Cavaleras, California, a local newspaper based in Angel Camp, covered the event and the resultant disturbance. Angel Camp back to normal after two-day motorcycle meet read the headline for June 6. Well, rumors of local stage state of siege widespread crashes caused deaths of three motorcyclists. Since the mishap in Hollister, the AMA had begun banning outlaw groups from attending its events. However, that didn't stop the groups like the Hells Angels from coming to town. Barred from the main event at Frogtown, they set up shop on Main Street in Angels Camp. Well, it was true that for a time Saturday afternoon, a band from outlaw motorcycle clubs did take over Main Street here staging drag races down the middle of the street before police reinforcements were called in. And citizens seemed pretty well agreed that if this would help had not been forecoming, a fracas of a riot proportions might have ensued, reported the publication. On Saturday afternoon, Angels Police Chief Joe Spinelli suspected a buildup of outlaw elements on Main Street. Large numbers of bikers began to park downtown and race their bikes up and down the street. In response, Spinelli was forced to call in 15 special officers from Stockton 
and 30 California Highway Patrol officers for assistance. Roadblocks were set up to halt the incoming flood of motorcyclists while a crew from the Chamber of Commerce began clearing away the empty bottles that littered Main Street, which they believed could be used as weapons if a fight broke out. Unexpectedly, no major fights were reported, no bottles were thrown, no property was damaged, and the officers were able to quell the disturbance. The parade planned for that evening on Main Street was relocated to the fairgrounds, and a roadblock was maintained along Highway 49 to separate AMA members from the outlaw biker groups. The California Highway Patrol reported 263 citations, totaling 585 violations over the weekend in connection with the AMA event. They included drunken driving, speeding, reckless driving, loud mufflers, and unsafe equipment. The Angels Camp Police Department reported 20 citations, and the Calveras County Sheriff's Office reported 26 people in jail. Three motorcyclists were killed in connection with the event, according to a longtime Hells Angel leader, Ralph Sonny Barger. Two of those killed were Hells Angels in his autobiography history of the group. Barger wrote, We were down in the small town of Angels Camp to visit an AMA Gypsy Tour Road Rally. While over 3,700 riders joined in this AMA sanctioned event, we were considered a disruption. During the Gypsy Tour, two Sacramento Hells Angels raced out of town at speeds of over 100 miles per hour. As they crested the top of the hill, their bikes sailed in the air, crashing down on a pack of riders coming up the hill. Both SACO members were killed, and the accident scene was pretty ugly. The AMA wore a big black eye after the papers wrote about it, and they decided to cancel any such future events. Oddly enough, while the AMA looked bad, the publicity sparked even more anonymity towards the Hells Angels from the straight world. <laughs> Mark Twain Hospital reported tweeting, uh, treating 17 motorcycle accident victims over that weekend. Three taverns and one restaurant on Main Street closed in response to the presence of outlaw bikers, but the rest remained open. Taverns and restaurants in Angel's Camp and Altaville that stayed open all reported doing record-breaking business. The story of the takeover of downtown was printed in publications across the county. Further solidifying the, uh, the notory of the Hells Angels the week after reporting on the disturbance on Main Street, the Californias, uh, Calaveras printed a letter from Tommy Castle, a former Hells, or no, a former Angels Camp resident who had moved to New York. Castle had read about the events on Main Street 3,000 miles away in the New York Times, quote, almost choked over my breakfast when I read this article. He Castle included a clipping of the local article 
Daredevil elements in a group of 3,700 motorcyclists roared into this tiny village in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada yesterday and overwhelmed the local two-man police force, the article read. With the aid of 48 law enforcement officials, order was restored before midnight. Although the details in the Times article were exaggerated and misleading, it did admit that, except for hundreds of beer bottles and cans littering Main Street, no damage was done during the disturbance here. In response, the editor wrote, Thanks, Tommy. It is interesting to see how far and wide the name of the Angels Camp travels, even on motorcycles. So that's some good history right there, man. Good history. Feds won't pursue death penalty and Gypsy Joker outlaw motorcycle kidnapping murder conspiracy cases. This by Maxine Bernstein, the Oregonian, Oregon Live. The U.S. Attorney General has directed federal prosecutors in Oregon not to seek the death penalty in the kidnapping, torture-style murder, and racketeering conspiracy cases pending against the accused members of the Gypsy Joker Outlaw Motorcycle Club. The decision was forwarded July 1st to the Oregon judge handling the case. That's about three and a half weeks before Attorney General William P. Barr announced Thursday that the federal government would resume death penalty executions after a 16-year hiatus. No offenders prosecuted in Oregon currently are on federal death row. In the Motorcycle Club prosecution, the criminal division of the U.S. Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., reviewed the case and made the recommendation. So, somebody can count their lucky stars, shouldn't they? <laughs>
Late Thursday evening, upon arrival, deputies made contact with Sanchez and his child. Deputies took Sanchez into custody for felony domestic battery. Just before 2 a.m. on Friday, deputies were granted a search warrant of the property and found the following evidence, which was confiscated and booked. A Glock 17 9mm pistol was located in a clothing hamper of the master bedroom that Sanchez resides in along with the magazines. The gun was verified through dispatch as a stolen out of Carson City. Sanchez is a registered ex-felon and he has prior history of domestic batteries. 14.56 grams of coke in a small plastic bag was located in the master bedroom in a desk drawer on the west wall. The cocaine was Nartec tested and yielded positive results. Additionally, 521 U.S. currency was located next to the cocaine in the drawer and 251 U.S. currency was located in a pair of jeans approximately three feet from the desk drawer containing the cocaine. A digital scale and numerous small plastic bags were located next to the cocaine as well. A vial of testosterone without a prescription was located in the same desk as the cocaine. A small plastic bottle with no prescription was located on the east nightstand the contents of the bottle were 17.5 counts of Clyroberzisipan, 10 milligrams of one count with a separate imprint. Three separate plastic bags of marijuana weighing approximately 10.2 ounces were located in the master bedroom. Each package had a handwritten name on it indicated it did not come from a legal dispensary. Samples of blood located in the residence along with the clothing containing blood drops were collected in respect to the domestic battery that occurred. The door to Sanchez's room is approximately 10 feet from his child's bedroom, which was unlocked. He was additionally charged with child endangerment. The full list of charges are trafficking controlled substances, cocaine, possession with intent to sell, possession of a stolen firearm. Yeah, that's going to get you some time right there, that one. Ex-felon possessing a firearm, possession of a controlled substance being testosterone, and possession of dangerous drug without a prescription. It keeps on going. Possession of a drug paraphernalia. Possession of less than one ounce of marijuana. Why just not going to the dispensary? Child endangerment. Bail is set at $93,011. Wow. A 30-year-old Carson City woman was arrested on Wild Sage Circle for filing a false police report after calling 911 on her boyfriend during an argument. According to the report, the women, woman called 911 stating she was pregnant and her boyfriend of five years kicked her in the stomach before hanging up. However, 
When deputies arrived, the woman was waiting outside and said she was not actually kicked and that nothing was going on. She admitted she lied to the dispatch about the domestic battery. Deputies placed the woman in handcuffs and asked her why she lied to dispatch. She said she had gotten into an argument with the boyfriend over something simple and stupid and decided to call the cops on him. Uh. When asked what she thought was going to happen when she called 911, she stated pretty much this with the cops showing up. She was taken into custody without incident. Her bail is at or $637. Uh, we keep on going here. A transient man was arrested in the 3800 block of South Carson Street on a violation of suspended warrant. Hmm. Bail for that was 3000 Man, they got some pretty messed up stuff going on in Carson City. I have to tell you what's going on out there. But as far as that one charge, those one charges involving uh, the member of the club, man, what is going on with you, man? Don't ever bring that stuff to your home. You know, it just seems like people nowadays, hmm. Don't have much common sense, and you sure to hell don't bring it around your kid. Anyway, Harley Davidson struggled to survive. Ruth and Daly. My husband and I had made our way up to the Continental Divide. It was a steady, significant climb into the Rockies, a 30 mile ride from Aspen, Colorado. Elevation 8,000 feet to Independence Pass at 12,000 feet. We were on a BMW GS1200, a big adventure touring motorcycle we rented in nearby Grand Junction for a week of exploration when we stopped to stretch at Independence Pass. Though, we found ourselves surrounded by SUVs, a few impressive bicyclists, and a dozens of Harley-Davidsons. And as we waited near the landmark sign to pose for the requisite selfie, we noticed that all the members of the leather-clad group ahead of us were speaking German. Oh. oh, that's a big thing, said the clerk when we returned our BMW a few days later. Europeans, the Germans especially, they fly in red Harleys and buy all the leather gear. They want the real American experience. It's a thing, but will it someday be a thing of the past? Harley Davidson is a microcosm of America's struggle with powerful winds of change. Rust belt woes from manufacturing's decline have played a big role in American politics for years now, but never so much than 2016. Through this turmoil, brands like Harley have been reminders, loud and highly visible reminders, of American strength, style, and confidence. That image is what attracts those German tourists. But Harley continues to struggle. It reported last week that profits fell, holy shit, 20% in the second quarter, and sales were down 6% from the same time last year.
The iconic brand has navigated some very public drama recently. Another victim of the unfolding trade war, but it's the victim of another, even less controllable force. Big shifts in generational taste as a colleague quipped when I mentioned this topic. Those damn millennials. The foreign tourists we encountered in the Rockies were like us. Middle-aged people with the time and money to rent a huge machine and create, quote, easy rider fantasies on vacation out west, but our numbers are shrinking and younger buyers want smaller bikes. They want commuter vehicles, not leisurely weekend spins. What's a company to do, she asked. First, Harley decided to go after international buyers, especially the emerging Asian market, and to expand production here. Two, in 2018, the company made 42% of its sales overseas. It hopes to hit 50% by 2027. With this effort already underway, President Donald Trump began imposing tariffs on imported steel and aluminum in early 2018, a move meant to help steel producers, but a move that drove Harley's cost up. They were already there. U.S. tariffs in turn provoked European Union tariffs on a long list of products, including Harley-Davidson motorcycles. A dumb old whammy, she says. Then... When the company doubled down on its overseas expansion in part to get around the EU tariffs, some Harley owners announced a boycott, unhappy that the Made in America slogan might no longer apply, and Mr. Trump tweeted his approval of their boycott. That was back in August, but this April, when Harley's bad first quarter numbers came out, Mr. Trump pivoted with tweets blaming EU tariffs for the company's losses and vowing retaliation. The drama has quieted a bit, but it probably isn't over. Another part of Harley's survival strategy is a bid for the millennial market. In September, it will introduce the Livewire. <laughs> An electronic motorcycle that's culmination of nearly a decade-long project. Electrification is the way of the future, said a reviewer for Motorcycle Magazine, who praised the Livewire's brutal power, good looks, fast charging capability, and tech-heavy features. Yeah, for 30 grand. Is this the future? The millennials and their kids will decide. I'm very happy writing... Pillon on our KTM Super Adventure Bike. Maybe on the next year's flying well trip, we'll try a Harley. Well, I know for sure is that Ford Motor Company is still around, but it's no longer making the T model. Hmm, what a jab right there. By WGME. Dallas Plantation. Three people suffered serious injuries head on with... Ooh, head-on motorcycle crash just outside of Wrangley, according to the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. Deputies said the crash happened around 1.30 p.m. along Route 16 in Dallas Plantation. According to investigators, a motorcycle operated by 45-year-old Jill Crayford of Anson was headed west when it crossed the center line and struck 
another motorcycle head-on. Hayford sustained critical injuries in the crash. The two people on the second motorcycle, Gregory and Catherine Mulkey of Middleton, Massachusetts, were thrown from the bike, according to the deputies. Catherine had to be life-flighted to Central Maine Medical Center and is currently in critical condition, while Gregory had non-life-threatening injuries. Route 16 was closed for two hours while deputies investigated the crash. The official cause remains under investigation. And one thing on politics I have to throw in there. Trump going off, man. He putting all the Democrats in their place. First he's going after the one dude from Maryland and now the dum-dum uh, Al from uh, New York. It is getting good, so go check it out, man. I love that stuff, man. He just putting it to him and saying it real. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Join our YouTube channel and get Motorcycle Madhouse and tons of videos related to the bikers. Join now by subscribing for free and become part of the crowd today. Always free and always entertaining. Don't forget to visit us at www.harleyliberty.com for your daily biker news. Rock on! Are we ready? Let's go, 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 go. By Tim White. Providence, Rhode Island, WPRI. The trucker targeted last month by the local president of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club went on to finish a delivery for his employer with a bullet hole in his vehicle. A newly released search warrant reveals. Man, you got to give that guy some grab, man. Somebody shoots at him, he keeps going. On June 12, members of the State Police Intelligence Unit were tipped off to a, quote, felony assault with a firearm that occurred outside the Hells Angels Motorcycle Clubhouse, end quote, on Messer Street in Providence. And this according to the affidavit for the search warrant. Police say they were told the president of the club, Joseph Lanchia, fired one round at the passenger side of a Mack truck that was been driven by Richard Starnino. Detectives then tracked down Starnino, who drove to the state police barracks in Lincoln, where they saw, quote, a bullet hole in the passenger side pillar between the front windshield and passenger side window, end quote. They also found a projectile resting on the portion of the vehicle's undercarriage on the passenger side. Again, the guy kept on driving doing his work, man. You gotta love that. Starnino told detectives earlier in the day he was turning onto Menzer Street to make a delivery for his employer when he saw Lancia remove a, quote, silver firearm from the small of his back and fired one round into the passenger side of the vehicle, end quote. Starnino said he did not stop after the shooting and proceeded to make his work delivery to the area of Broad Street in the city of Providence, according again to the affidavit. 
The affidavit reveals Starnino was a, quote, former prospect of the motorcycle club, and there has been an ongoing dispute between them that led, hmm, oh, Starnino to leave the Hells Angels. Hmm, anyway. The search warrant reveals state police had been keeping tabs on the clubhouse using static electronic surveillance, which is most commonly a hidden camera usually located on a telephone pole. The video confirmed Starnino's story according to the affidavit. Well, now you guys better look on all the telephones around the clubhouses. Based on the information, the state police asked a judge for what's called a, quote, no-knock search warrant where police can enter a building with little or no warning. Detectives wrote they were concerned anyone inside the clubhouse would, quote, attempt to dispose of evidence while members of law enforcement are executing the search warrant. Well, yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> search warrant in hand, state police surrounded the Messer Street building later that day and demanded anyone on the inside to come out. They eventually used a vehicle called a Bearcat to forcibly enter the building by ramming in the front door. Yeah, it's basically a, a tank with a, a little pointy thing at it. Lacia, 28, was arrested that day and later indicted on charges of assault with the intent to commit murder, assault with a dangerous weapon, discharging a firearm while committing a crime of violence and carrying a pistol without a permit. Yeah, it's next to impossible to get a permit out that way. Two associates were also indicted on charges that stem from the findings of the search warrant. So it wasn't just him. Uh, Lance R. Amor, 54, West Warwick, was charged with possession of a Schedule II controlled substance, methamphetamine, compounding and concealing a felony and misprison concealment of a felony. The state police have identified Amor as a full patch member of the Hells Angels. Yeah, that uh, methamphetamines always get you in trouble, don't it? Amber E. Gill, 25, of Providence, was indicted for possession of a scheduled uh, controlled substance, THC. No. Inside the clubhouse, the state police seized 25 items, including three guns and an axe from within ceiling of room two. They also searched a 2018 Tesla Model 3 that Lancia was driving but was registered to a more. They seized two cell phones, a surveillance camera that was in the trunk, and a quote, Clear plastic bag containing a white substance, end quote. It's probably meth or it's coke, one of the two, or heroin, I don't know. 
Lancia was released on a $100,000 charity bond. He and the other defendants have pleaded not guilty. A fundraiser for Lancia was scheduled to be held at the clubhouse to raise money for his legal fees. That, according to a Facebook post, a flyer on the Facebook page showed a picture of Lancia with, quote, Keep Joe free, end quote, as the banner. The flyer said there was a $20 entry fee for the defense party for Mezzer Street Monster. Maybe he shouldn't have fired a firearm. Maybe he, you know, maybe he should have took care of business other ways. Anyway, a video teasing a new 2020 Indian Challenger and its liquid cool engine has leaked out of this past weekend's Indian dealer meeting. The 42-second video was uploaded to Facebook by a dealer, which will likely receive a panic call from Polaris any minute now. This thing is bad. I love it. And offers a look at the engine and how it sounds. Harley Davidson, you're going to have a run for your money on this one. The video also reveals the engine will be called the Power Plus 108, adopting the name first used for an Indian motorcycle produced from 1916 to 1924 and reused by the brand during the Gilroy era earlier this century. The 108 would seem to confirm our previous report that the engine will have a 108 CI 1770 cc's baby displacement and the source said the engine will have a claimed output you ready 120 horsepower based on paddings filed by polaris we expect the engine to be a 60 degree v-twin with four valves per cylinder the engine may have been originally developed for victory but is only now seeing use with the Indian. You imagine one of these in a victory? Holy cow. The video also appears to verify the leaked photos of a fixed bearing Turing bike. The video shows hard bags, an Indian head front, fender, and a fairing featuring two LED lights bracketing a central headlight. Again, Harley, you better be sh shaking right now. Indian will re likely reveal the Challenger in the next week at the 2019 Sturgis Rally. We will have more information on Motorcycle.com as it becomes available. Holy cow, that's a beauty right there, ain't it, guys? Holy cow. Looks like the Livewire has a competition. Curtis Motorcycles have revealed another design concept, this time taking a deliberate shot at Harley-Davidson with its most affordable electric bike yet, the Psyche. The company's newest design is priced almost identically to the Harley-Davidson Livewire which is already available for sale at $29,799. I don't care. Harley might be real priced, but I never buy one of these. Also, Dub the Lover, Curtis named Psyche after the Greek goddess who was the wife of the god of love, Euros. It features a single-seat design 
and many of the elements that make up Curtis's signature style, including long, low proportions and a skeleton design. Things uglier than sin, if you ask me. The Psyche will offer two power options, including 48 or 96 horsepower, 36 or 72 kilowatts. The lightweight bike will be around 370 pounds or 170 kilograms and offer a range in combined cycle testing estimated around 160 miles per charge. Other than that, specs are scarce at the moment. I still say go zero, man. They, they, they're rocking. Curtis CEO Matt Chambers admits to taking aim at America's most iconic motorcycle brand as it calls for small-time investors to help it overtake in the premium electronic motorcycle segment. The bike itself won't be available for at least two years, though, with the company projecting sales beginning in fall of 2021. He goes on to say, and he's quoting, I've got something I've always dreamed of, Chambers wrote in an email released to the press this morning. A clean shot at Harley, exposing the hollow, seemingly cynical nature of their EV effort. Their own CEO referring to their rather commodity-looking live wire example as a catalyst for their petrol line. How uninspiring, he goes on. He goes on to say he will lead the motorcycle field. Hmm. Curtis is the precise hard knockout punch he didn't see coming. <laughs> He's like, look at sin, dude! He is way too big and spread way too thin, he continues. The volumes will be too low for the next five years. We have outplanned them out-designed them, out-engineered them, out-branded them, and out-promoted them. Huh? The market is very small, ideally suited to our core competencies, skill sets, and bandwidth. If you're in the market for an electric bike, go with freaking Zero, man. They got a long range on them bikes. They're priced half the cost of a Harley Livewire. That's just my freaking two cents. But this thing's uglier than hell. Uglier than hell. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to the Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel. And also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open.